Welcome to Neuro Insights, a podcast that gives you insight into the latest research in organizational psychology, workplace well-being, and mental health. I'm Vivian, the Chief Research Officer here at Neuro. And I'm Peter, a researcher and content creator at Neuro, where we create science-based 15-minute micro-learnings for managers to improve mental health in the workplace. Each week, we'll be discussing a new journal article that sheds light on ways to enhance mental health at work, both for you and your team. Let's dive into the research to find out what NeuroInsight you could implement today. Hello and welcome back. Today, the article we'll be covering is on a workplace mental health intervention that was started before the pandemic and continued during the pandemic. And what's so unique about this is that they looked at both clinical and financial outcomes with this program, which is actually quite unique given that a lot of wellness programs are being carried out without really looking at ROI. Uh, So it was published in JAMA Psychiatry in June of 2022 by Bonjour and Al. And Peter and I will be discussing just what this means for people looking at mental health programs and its outcomes and what it could mean for us here at Neuro. So to get us started, the paper starts off saying that there are a lot of wellness programs in companies. But what research has shown is that these programs don't actually improve clinical financial outcomes, but they only improve certain health-related behaviors. So whether you, you know, your daily step count, you exercise more. And we really want to be looking at these programs actually benefiting the company in any tangible way. And so they pivot to look at then mental health programs and say that because mental health is the leading cause of disability and there's a huge financial burden on companies due to mental health, could it be that mental health programs have a better ROI? And in looking at the literature, actually only one intervention by Milligan Savi in 2017 demonstrated both clinical and financial ROI. And so this really begs the question, well, what kind of intervention is most effective? And For us here at Nero, in designing interventions, how can we design an intervention that makes sure we we make the biggest impact on companies? So this paper was an employee-sponsored mental health program, and it consisted of digital mental health screening, telephone video appointments with caregivers um, that would first talk to them, then personalize or customize their experience. There was internet-based CBT resources. There were free and low-cost access to video, in-person psychotherapy medication. They had help with medication management, and they were pretty quick on it, too. Also, they had a a symptom tracking framework. That's right. So if you were part of a company that offered you this program and you qualified for the studies, so that means you had to have a clinical diagnosis of either depression or anxiety based on the PHQ-9 or GAD-7, you were then included in the study to see if this employee-sponsored program, actually delivered by a company called Spring Health, whether it would cause the company to have any clinical or financial outcome. And specifically, they looked at at the clinical outcomes of whether your depression or anxiety symptoms decreased as measured by those validated scales. They looked at if your response was associated with the dose. So if you attended more sessions, did your symptoms decrease more? And what other demographic factors were associated with clinical improvement? In terms of financial outcomes, they looked at 
time in the workplace. So how much time you were missing from work because of emotional or mental health problems. They looked at employee retention and all this contributed to a final ROI that that was measured. So in their methodology, they offered this program to 66 employers across 40 states in the U.S. This accounted to 282,960 participants from the time of January 1st, 2018 to 2021. So all these employees were notified by the employer and they could enroll online for this program. Once they enrolled, the app would ask them to identify common mental health difficulties. So do they struggle with stress or anxiety? And based on their answers, they were then prompted to fill out questionnaires. So everyone filled out the depression PHQ-9 questionnaire. And then based on their response, they were offered other questionnaires to monitor for alcohol use, ADHD, PTSD, etc. They were then given follow-up assessments at regular intervals. And then they could start scheduling appointments with whoever they wanted from the care team. And Peter, you can tell us more about who that care team was. Sure, yeah. Who are the care team? They had uh, care navigators. And so those were mental health clinicians that had a master's degree level of education. Then they had therapists who um, had a master's and were doctoral level. They had medication managers. Uh, These were medical doctors. And they could be referred outside uh, to outside programs if they were more intense situations that needed more uh, services. And um, some other requirements were that the care team, anyone on the team had at least three years of experience and there were 228 in total. Right. So that was a huge strength, I think, of this study is that they had a very qualified group of experts that could help people with their mental health. And so as we said, the people who were in the study, they had a clinical diagnosis of anxiety and depression. Some results that came from the study was that uh, the people that were in the study screened positive for an average of 2.7 mental health conditions. So again, talking about the comorbidity of mental health, that it's not just you just have anxiety, but a lot of times anxiety comes with depression or some other issues. They attended at least a mean of 5.6 therapy sessions. And the median times to the first available appointment were 1.2 days for psychotherapy and one day for medication management. I mean, this is really incredible thinking about how hard it is to get an appointment with therapists nowadays or even a family doctor to get psychotherapy medication. Uh, So the fact that they were able to not only assemble a care team, but also have a care navigator who could recommend which therapist was good for you and then set up an appointment for you in time is really uh, a feat. Yeah. And didn't you say that the 5.6 was rather high for participation? Yeah. 5.6 therapy sessions. I mean, this meant that the people who were on the platform had a very high level of buy-in so they really were incentivized to go to their therapy and um, and attend. And this really showed in the results, too, in that the people who participated in the study had great reduction in their symptoms of depression and anxiety. And I think it's not easy oftentimes to get people to go to therapy or to, you know, have people use these services. So um, I think that's one of the greatest strengths of the study was really the high level of motivation and then buy-in with the platform. So speaking of their incredible outcomes, 
when we talk about clinical outcomes, people who were depressed or anxious saw a total decrease in depression of 6.34 points in the PHQ-9 and 6.28 points in the GAD-7. If I could put it in layman terms, that means that 69.3% of depressed individuals had a reliable improvement in score and 68.7% of people who were struggling with anxiety. If you compare that to huge meta-analyses of how effective psychotherapy is, we're seeing a 43% rate of improvement with psychotherapy. So, I mean, this is this is quite a bit higher than what we're seeing on average, uh, the benchmark average with psychotherapy. And, you know, the authors, they did discuss a bit on why they saw such a, a great change. Uh, and they attributed this to the fact that it's not just one, you know, one way of addressing the issue is not just psychotherapy, but there was a care navigator to give you personalized recommendations. There was a whole off-live piece where you could navigate CBT resources in your own time. So you could, you know, get trained and get educated. Uh, there was medication. I don't normally see that in digital uh, solutions. And there was symptom tracking. So we all know that journaling, reflection, on your journey is really important. And I think it was interesting to see that they had that kind of symptom tracking framework as part of their intervention as well. So those are the clinical outcomes. And let's talk about some financial outcomes that came out from the study. Yeah, those are always important, aren't they? Because companies that want to use these programs want to see that there's, um, I'm sure they, they care about people in their company, but they also want to know this makes sense to use. And it, does it actually treat a real problem that's costing us money? So the financial outcomes were that they found that the number of days in treatment associated with fewer missed days. So that, that makes sense. And that's what we want to see. So that resulted in um, fewer unproductive days. And then post-treatment, these people uh, missed about 0.32 fewer days per week and were unproductive for about 0.64 fewer days per week. Then participants in the program also had 1.6 times the odds of being retained rather than losing this person, having to find a, a completely new person, interview them multiple times and get them on board. Mm -hmm. So they saw effects on employee retention, on unproductivity, on sick days. And I mean, all this means money for the company. And so a really interesting table in the paper actually calculated ROI, which is return on investment. For every dollar you spend on each employee, how much you will get back. Yeah, for all income levels, they found there to be a positive ROI for the amount that they would save from retaining the employee and the unproductive days and the sick leave. So really, that was the main finding, I think, of this paper was that they, they saw both significant clinical and financial outcomes of this intervention. And, you know, if we were to discuss what this means for neuro, I think it's really encouraging to see, hey, the fact that your employees are less anxious and depressed actually means something monetarily for your company. So these interventions and programs are actually helpful. Uh, we should be investing in them. We should yeah, we should be monitoring how helpful they are and um, seeing which kind of programs are more effective and then trying to do more of that. 
Yeah, I think um, some of the things that I saw were that any level of engagement is saving the the company money, and it always has an impact. So I think there is some of that uneasiness with how do we measure this? How do we prove that this is something we should do? And yet when you look at the landscape of the problem and addressing the solution at any level, it's going to save the company money as well as benefit those employees as far as retention, uh, productivity, engagement. Now, neuro is a little bit different. Well, a lot different, but we don't diagnose people. We're not clinicians or anything like that. We use the research out there more on the prevention side. Now, one thing I thought was a benefit was that to get employee or manager uh, engagement, we're not diagnosing everyone. There's a lot of stigma that comes with diagnosement. It's putting a name to what they have, and that's really empowering. Um, and you go like, oh, I can, I can start working towards that. But at Neuro, we're not diagnosing people. And so there's no fear of, oh, once I have this label, I'm this liability to the company and my next company and to my insurance. No, that doesn't even happen. As far as uh, who we're engaging with, we're focusing on managers because they can change the culture of the companies. And the other thing I saw was that online platforms have a big impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's amazing. They evaluated the effect of this before the pandemic and during the pandemic, and and it was equally effective. Uh, and that's the power of, of digital interventions is that even if the whole world goes online, people can still get access to, to therapy and the things they need with a, a digital platform. And as far as the companies that they looked at, they had different sizes of companies, different industries, which is really interesting numbers to look at. But over half were from uh, those very large companies, 5,000 plus employees. And so we're talking just a lot of people that you can reach through this kind of platform, which is really powerful. Yeah. So to sum up, I think this was a really good paper in proving that digital interventions for mental health at the workplace can have incredible clinical and financial outcomes. And, you know, both the personalized aspect of pairing you with a care provider and also leading you through that process can have huge impacts on your mental health. And I think here at Nero, we're we're encouraged by that, but also looking at the prevention side of, well, before someone starts to exhibit signs of depression and anxiety, what can we do earlier on in that timeline to to help them and to give them the care and access to information that they need. So we hope you enjoyed listening to this article and that it encouraged you, whether you're a manager or an employee, thinking about mental health at the workplace. So we'll see you for next episode. Hi.